to episode 134 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is an expert in battery-powered mowers, mm-hmm. John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Uh, well, it's nice to be back in the Vault Studio. It's been a month. Well, we were here this this last week, weren't we? No, last week we were we, we did virtual because of your illness. Oh yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. It has been a month since it's we've been, been a in month here. since we've actually sat in the Vault Studio here. So, um, it's it it is good to be back. And um, you're on the mend from a recent uh, round of illness. Yep, we're going to try not to cough through this episode. So. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. I wanted to throw that out there in the event that you do. And I think so, I – do I sound normal? Do you I do. Sound, yeah, okay. your voice is okay. back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever really lose your voice or – No. Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe – there were some patches where it sounded a little rough, but overall yeah. kept kept it pretty normal. Okay. Would, would you like to throw the woman under the bus who got you sick? No. No, okay. I would not. OK. I'm not talking about your wife. Oh, OK. No. Oh, OK. I was like, <laughs> I caught this from <laughs> no. my wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, but you seem to have identified the source. Yeah. I mean, there was a there was an inconsiderate woman in a Walgreens <laughs> in Florida who walking around the store coughing and hacking and buying a COVID test and maskless and all sorts of things and wasn't being particularly cautious and – I pulled Andrea back, and we think that's where we got it from. Okay, so. okay, yes, I, I, would, I would. I was never, like, I was like, no, I'm not going to throw Andrea never under the bus. Suggest <laughs> that you throw your wife under the bus. Come on now, come on now. But this woman in Florida, sure. Yeah, absolutely. She's, throw her under a bus. Yeah, she she has no name and can't track us down. Be hilarious if she's a listener. That would be remarkable. Yeah, that would be quite remarkable. Um. If you would like to contact the show, so if you are this woman who got John and Andrea sick, uh, yeah. uh, you can contact the show uh, on Twitter at VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and on YouTube, and we would love for you to leave a, uh, a five-star rating and a review on whatever platform you access the show. And um, – we are hopeful that you're actually getting this episode because we've now made the transition to a new podcast server essentially. Yep. Yep. And we're hopeful that the episode gets pushed out. We to... think we're, we're like 99% sure if you listen on an Apple podcast, it'll get to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's – Spotify, Amazon well, Music. Somebody. It's working somehow because we transported episodes over. Yeah. I did it yesterday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. And we've had downloads today. Yeah, yeah. Through this. And so apparently it's working somehow. Yep. But um, somehow, some way. Yeah. And uh, just as a friendly reminder, uh, I begin, I think we're going to start next week. Next week. I think we're going to try next week. Okay. We're going to add in advertising. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. It'll be an interesting uh, wrinkle to toss in here. Yeah. How many, how many, do we get to pick the number of ad spots or? Yep. So we get to go two, three? I think we'll go two. Where at? Like where in the episode are you thinking? Well, I anticipate um, – One at the end? No. Um, I anticipate between segments, meaning we'll do the we'll do the intro. The banter. The banter. We'll talk sports. Then we'll hit a commercial break. 
Then we'll hit our main topic, another commercial break, and then we'll end with this day in sports and one thing you like. So just two. Has anybody reached out to you and said, please don't do commercial breaks, whatever no. you do? No, no. No one said that to me either. Yeah. The reality is if you listen to a lot of podcasts, many of them have advertisements in them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know about you, but unless I'm occupied doing something else, I just hit the fast forward 30 seconds button. Yeah. And skip through them. You know, if I'm sometimes if I'm mowing, for example, it's not necessarily easy to hit that, so I just tolerate the ads. But yep. um, this is all part of our plan to get filthy rich. Yeah, or at least a little rich, <laughs> <laughs> or just cover the expenses of the podcast. Yeah, yep, <laughs> that'd be a good place to start. That'd be great. That'd be a good place to start. All right, uh, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, let's talk some sports. Yep, let's do it. Uh, not a lot going on. There was the uh, MLB All Star Game last week in the Home Run Derby. Yep, uh, American League won for like the eighth time in a row. Okay, eighth ninth time in and, a row. And remind me, they, they do home they do home field advantage then in the World Series based on I that. I think they took that away. They did. Okay, I think they did. Yeah, because uh, that was a dumb idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the home run derby. Your, your boy Pete didn't three-peat. He did not. No, he ran into a rookie that went to the finals but ultimately lost okay. in the finals. Yeah. Um, and then uh, – so so where are your Mets at as so, they start the – I mean we call it the second half of the season but more than half of the games have been played. Yeah. So for our purposes, the second half of the season – they are currently – let me check the actual standings. They are uh, a game and a half up on the Braves. Because the Braves have caught fire since like May, right? Yeah, probably probably midway through June, through most of July, they have really caught on fire. I think won like 15 in a row, okay. somewhere in there. And that helps your standing, you know. Uh, oh, certainly. So, yeah, we're a game and a half up. Um, hopefully we remain there and we'll see. It's going to be a good race. Of the teams that can win the World Series, I think the Mets and the Braves are both there. So. Okay. And um, when are you getting Scherzer back? Scherzer's back. He is. Yeah. So he pitched He pitched two games before the All-Star break and then one after. DeGrom is on his way back. I think he's going to do one more minor league start and then he'll be back. So okay. maybe about a week for DeGrom to come back and then we'll, you know, basically we'll be on – Will be unstoppable. Unstoppable. Okay. Uh, did you see the guy we signed? By the way, no. Uh, so he he debuted last night on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, and as one listener texts to me, he's really testing out the buttons on that shirt. <laughs> so he's a he's he's a big guy. Okay, um, and he hits righties particularly well. All right, uh, but he hit a double during the game. And then uh, scored from second on a double. Okay. And it was just a big, big man. All right. Barreling home in eight seconds. Eight <laughs> seconds he made it from second base. That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I, I assume so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm – I've never really thought of – I'm familiar with 40 times in, in football, but I've not thought of time from second to home in, uh, in that way. So. Yeah. Let, um, me, let me show you a, a <clears throat> picture of this guy. This is great for the – uh, audio medium here. Oh yeah, he's big. He's a big fella. Yeah, he hasn't missed too many meals. No. Yeah. Look at him go. 
Okay. My goodness. Solid what a slide. slide at the end. Yeah. 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 Okay. Showed up on the Richter scale. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I caught probably 10 minutes of that game. That was against the Padres last night, wasn't it? Yep. I yep. caught probably 10 yep. minutes of that game last night just flipping through. Um, and uh, football season, not far off. Yeah. Training camp starts soon. Yeah. It's a good time of year. It is. It is. Um, I'm getting more and more excited about uh, college football. Yeah. So um, – and it's it's unusual for Ohio State to start the year with a – such a high-profile game. They're playing they're playing Notre Dame at home. Did Notre Dame join the Big Ten? <laughs> <laughs> Not, Just yet. Not Just joking. Not yet. Um, they, they, their, their arrogance uh, still knows no limits and so they're, they're still remaining an independent. Where does Oregon go out of all this shuffle? Uh, I think um, – Are they remaining in the – they're still in the Pac-12. Well, the Pac-12 still exists. OK. I think one or two things is going to happen. Either the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are going to try to cobble something together. So they, they had some initial talks. Those kind of fell apart. But uh, to, to create a third super conference. OK. Or – The Island of Misfit Toys yes, conference. Yes. Yeah. And uh, – or um, – Oregon's going to end up in the Big Ten as well. Okay, that seems to make the most sense to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've seen some proposals out there talking about, well, what if the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve joined together and they they took Notre Dame and formed this sort of third entity? But I just don't know. I I think if Notre Dame's going to join a conference, it's not going to be something like that. It's not going to be the leftovers of the Pac Twelve yeah. and the Big Twelve. Yeah. Um, they're they're going to join either the Big Ten or the SEC. Yeah, uh, they're, they're not they're not looking at leftovers. Yeah, and just geographically, it would make sense for them to join the Big well, Ten. Geography doesn't matter anymore. You've got Rutgers and USC in the same conference. I, I understand that, <laughs> but if if we're if you put them all on a map, right where yeah. the where the Big Ten goes, it that. goes right through South Bend. A hundred percent. The Southeastern Conference really doesn't. No. Extend that far north. No, and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 don't really come that direction. Yeah, I mean, you could cobble together a geographical stretch from you know down in Texas where TCU is and Baylor in the Big 12, and make your way through the the Great Plains and into the into what Colorado's in the Big 12, right? Right, currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's still a ways up, up into the mountain. Catch Utah, which they're in the. Pac-12 now, so there, there, there's a path to Notre Dame. Not to Notre Dame. Oh, that's what that's what I meant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm in Indiana. John, I feel very far from Colorado. Notre Dame's different. They're special. They don't have to play by the other rules of other 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 college football teams. Well, the reason they don't have to is because NBC pays them a ton of money yes. to broadcast their yes. games. Yes. So, anyway, um, and. Uh, you probably don't want to talk Zach Wilson in your Jets. No, I don't. I think that's for the X-rated version of the pod. Yeah. I mean, you told me you've had people reach out to you. A lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it's it's just as well we don't. Um, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But. Very awkward situation. Yes. Very yeah. awkward. So bizarre. What a world we live in, John. What a world. Speaking of a bizarre world, that brings us to our topic for today. And 
we are going to talk about uh, two articles. One uh, was written a year ago uh, called The Six-Way Fracturing of Evangelicalism. And the second one came out, which I, I, I don't remember seeing that original article when it came out a year ago. Nope, me either. But I did see the follow-up article that came out the last couple weeks called One Year Later, Reflecting on Evangelicalism's Six-Way Fracturing. And so what I thought would be interesting about this is to look at these two articles. One of the, one of the things that makes it interest to me, interesting to me is that you will get some of these kind of think pieces that lay out, here's how evangelicalism is breaking apart or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what's unique is this one has a one-year follow-up of, hey, here's where I think we were on target. Here's where maybe we missed some things. Or, or we here's... missed a demographic here. Or... Yeah, yep. which I, I want to give props to. You know, it's, it's easy to write the initial piece and then just sort of, you know, run for cover if certain things in your piece don't come to fruition or um, – so uh, I, I think – and there's there's way more content in these articles than we could possibly discuss sure. in one episode. Um, but what I wanted to do is um, I'm going to have a summarize the six ways they see evangelicalism uh, fracturing, breaking down, and then um, highlight um, – some of the their sort of one year later thoughts, and you know, from there we can take the d- discussion in a variety of different directions, depending on what we want to do. So, yeah, uh, both are relatively long articles. So, um, although I, although nothing's as long as that David Brooks article we did. Oh gosh, my no. goodness, <laughs> that's a small pamphlet, a, a small booklet. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, would it be helpful to start? They frame the article around a Tim Dalrymple quote. Uh, and Tim Dalrymple is uh, the CEO of Christianity Today, or was at least was at that time. I believe yeah. he is no longer in that role. Um, and he said that new fractures are forming within American evangelical movement. Fractures that do not run along usual regional, denominational, ethnic, or political lines. Couples, families, friends, and congregations once united in their commitment to Christ are now divided over seemingly irreconcilable views of the world. In fact, they are not merely dividing but uh, becoming incomprehensible to one another. Yeah. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. It might be slightly overstated, but incomprehensible is a strong term. It is. It's a strong term. Um, And again, I think I, I will preface all of this discussion with I think if your perception if, if a person's perception of the evangelical movement is strictly dependent upon social media and the, the, and media in general, then it's going to be skewed. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, it's going to be skewed because there are vast swaths of people who would identify themselves as evangelical who have no presence and no interest in what's going on in social media. Yeah. So I think all of these analyses, you have to kind of put that caveat in there of if if you're gathering your primary evidence for this just based on social media, then you probably have a skewed perspective. I'm not saying that's what this article does. Yeah. But um, OK. So let's lay out the six ways that they say evangelicalism is fracturing. Uh, 
Yeah, basically the six groups <clears throat> or right. uh, or camps. Um, while we go, we'll, we'll tag team back and forth. I'll okay. take I'll take number one, and this is on a sort of spectrum here. First, he has the neo fundamentalist evangelicals. Uh, these are people who have deep concerns about both political and theological liberalism. There's some overlap and co-belligerency with Christian nationalism, which they define as a syncretism of right-wing nationalism and Christianity. But neo-fundamentalists do so with more theological vocabulary and rationality. Concerning threats within the church, they have deep worries with the church's drift towards liberalism and the way secular ideologies are finding homes in the church. Outside the church, they are concerned by the culture's increasing hostility to Christianity, most prominently from mass media, social media, and the government. Mm-hmm. Why don't you take number two? Okay. Okay. Uh, mainstream evangelicals. Uh, historically, this term has been Protestants who hold to the Bebbington quadrilateral, uh, conversionism, activism, biblicism, and uh, crucentrism. That's always a fun one. Uh, the emphasis of this group is on the fulfillment uh, of the Great Commission concerning threats within the church. They share some concerns uh, for the secular right's influence on Christian Christianity, including the destructive pull of Christian nationalism, but are far more concerned by the secular left's influence and the desire to assimilate since uh, the world is still uh, remains uh, so hostile. Outside the church, they are likely uncomfortable with the rhetoric Trump and other conservatives use, uh, but view this direction as the lesser of two evils. Okay, number three, neo-evangelical. People who would see themselves as global evangelicals and are doctrinally evangelicals with some philosophy of ministry differences, but no longer use the term evangelical in some circumstances in the American context as the term as an identifier has evolved to be more political than theological. Within the church, they are highly concerned by conservative Christianity's acceptance of Trump and failure to engage on topics of race and sexuality in helpful ways, but they have not totally abandoned evangelical identification and likely still labor in churches with the broadest spectrum of these groups. Outside of the church, the, this group feels largely homeless in today's world. There is equal concern or slightly more either way depending on the person at the threat the left and the right pose to Christians seeking to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. Okay. Uh, Post-evangelical uh, people who have fully left evangelicalism from a self-identification standpoint and reject the evangelical label yet are still churched and likely still agree with the Apostles' Creed and Nicaea Creed. Uh, they are more deconstructed than neo-evangelicals, and they are more vocal uh, in their critiques of ones, twos, than threes would be. Uh, same rem some remain firmly in, their, in Protestant circles, and others have crossed over to mainline Catholic or Orthodox traditions while still holding the basic creeds. Uh, concerning threats within the church, they are focused on abuse, corruption, hypocrisy, uh, Christian nationalism, and the secular right. Outside the church, uh, they are primarily concerned with matters of injustice, inequality, the secular right, uh, and to a lesser extent, the radical secular left. Many fours are fours also because 
their experience with predominantly white evangelicalism have been so difficult uh, and strained that physical distance seems to be the only conclusion. Okay. And then I'll I'll quickly hit these last two. Yeah, they're um, short. Uh, fifth is de-churched but with some Jesus. <laughs> uh, people who have left the church but still hold to at least some Orthodox Christian beliefs. And then sixth, de-churched and de-converted. People who have left the church and are completely de-converted with no vestigial Christian beliefs. Okay, so I think our conversation will be one focused of, one through four. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so um, I'm curious. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. So we'll okay, um, I have a guess as to where I'd peg you on this, yeah. and I want you to guess where I am on this. Okay, on, on the spectrum. Yeah. Okay. Who you you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Yeah, we're using half points as well, yes. so you can you yep. can certainly do that. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Why don't you go first if you got a sense? Okay. So my sense is that you're essentially um, a two point five, halfway between mainstream evangelical and neo evangelical. Yeah, I I would when I pegged myself, I probably put myself at two point five to two to two and three quarters or so, yeah. somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. yeah, if if I had to push you a direction, I would have I would have pushed you closer to three. I would have rounded up as opposed to rounding down. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's that's basically where I think I'm at. Uh, I think I had you uh, two to two and a quarter. Okay. Is that is that a, is that a fair assessment? Is that where you see yourself? Yeah, I think that's probably okay. fair. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think uh, let's do this. Let's briefly hit on the one year later to kind of bring up where they've come from uh, a year later. And then from there, we can just kind of branch out and see where the discussion goes. Yeah. So one year later, uh, they they go back through each of these categories and kind of say where they're at. So number one, the neo-fundamentalist evangelicals still are defined by a deep concern for political and theological liberalism, asserting a more courageous and vocal stance against the movements of culture from a firm biblicism. Okay, Mainstream uh, evangelicals, got to be careful. Yeah. Uh, Still find themselves largely motivated by mission but are more disturbed by the culture's turn against – Christianity than internal threats. Okay. And number three, neo-evangelicals still see themselves as the winsome and moderate alternative to the rhetoric they see from ones and twos, willing to critique both their left and their right, leaving them feely, feeling largely adrift. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very evident that the articles are written from the three perspective. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, no, no other one gets like – these how these people feel, you know. Then, then, but he does for the threes, which is yeah. uh, funny. And fours uh, having have even more powerfully rejected evangelical labels with their further exposing of abuse, corruption, hypocrisy in the church. Uh, they find themselves in a place of deconstruction, by which they uh, mean the health, the healthy practice of deconstructing the cultural idols that had been uh, added to the expressions of Christianity they previously moved in. Uh, such 
deconstruction is viewed externally uh, as the deconstruction of Christianity itself, leading groups one and two, possibly even some threes, to view them as on the path to de-churching and deconverting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and he says virtually nothing about the fours and the fives in that list. Uh, you mean fives and sixes? Fives and sixes, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because at that, he's basically like, they're gone. They're gone. They, they've mm-hmm. essentially left. Yep. Um, so what's your take on the taxonomy itself? Like as you look through these six categories and really our interest is, is in one through four. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like they – do you think that's a – a reasonable way of categorizing evangelicalism. Yeah, I, I, th- so I'm going to talk five and six for just a second, even though we just said one to four. Um, th- I virtually see those as similar. Uh, five and six. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, virtually the same. And I don't think having people leave evangelicalism is a new phenomenon at all. Um, it's something that's happened uh, regularly. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, and every generation has this. So, I, I mean, the Bible has the category of apostasy. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> and that, um, that may seem like a harsh term in today's context. Some people would see that as a harsh term. But yeah. the, I mean, so people leaving the church and leaving the faith is not new. Um, I would. My sense is I feel like I know a lot of twos and threes and I know a couple ones and a couple fours. Okay. And it it rings true to my experience. I would say ones and fours are definitely the most vocal groups. You think ones and fours are most vocal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right. I I do think the – uh, I, I think this taxonomy is helpful. Um, and in the article itself, they they make it clear, you know, there are plenty of people. Just as we kind of pegged each other uh, in terms of a number on the scale, yeah, there are half steps and there there are decimal points in between. So yeah, um, and I think that uh, um, what do you think about? It seems like the big difference between. The twos and the threes, so between the mainstream evangelicals and the neo-evangelicals, that the big difference is – or one of the one of the key differences here is where is the biggest threat to the church coming from? Mm-hmm. And therefore, what should be the – to whatever extent the church should focus on uh, threats. Yeah. And that can be that 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 how you parse that out varies greatly. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but I think he, I think this this scale is probably correct, at least in my perspective. That that's a that's a pretty defining question. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think whether whether it's, uh, uh, gosh, uh, liberalism uh, as defined by the party, mm-hmm. you know the the left end of the Democratic Party or if it's uh, some of – gosh, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this that everybody – that uh, some of the more militant moves of the right. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is, that a, is that a fair way to – Yeah, I think that's probably fair. To, to categorize the two of them? Yeah, I mean I think the, the question kind of boils down to 
which, you know, which deserves more attention and more energy to thwart. Mm-hmm. Because I think twos and threes will both agree yeah. that there's dangers on the ends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so the question is, which is going – which is a greater threat? Is it uh, – is it the elements of the right that seem wedded to this, the, the quest for power and influence mm-hmm. um, and are sort of abandoning abandoning the gospel and Christian ethics in order to get it? Yeah. Is that the greater threat? Or is it the infiltration of uh, progressive and worldly ideologies into the church? Mm-hmm. Does that seem like a fair way of oh, saying yeah, it? Oh, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even – I'd say even the left questioning the, f- the foundation of identities is, is, a, yeah. is um, yeah, a pretty I think big so. threat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think uh, – what, what other things from, from these two articles struck you? I think one thing that stuck out to me was that, uh, uh, you know, they – in the follow-up article, one of the things they brought up was that uh, we thought we were losing evangelicals out the the five and six door. Mm-hmm. But they said there's also some evidence that we're losing them out the one door as mm-hmm. well, out, yeah. out, out the back door. Um, and I think that's something that's maybe not getting the the coverage uh, it, yeah. it needs, that, that we're – Evangelicalism is losing some people to more uh, uh, nationalistic mm-hmm. groups. Yeah. I think for me one of the more intriguing insights in the follow-up article is um, talking about where where the money is in the broader evangelical movement. And basically the point they're making is, is that the money and the ability to raise money and perpetuate uh, institutions and things like that is on the edges. Mm-hmm. It's not as – so it's, all, it's, in, it's in the categories of the ones, the, the aggressive ones, as well as on the aggressive fours and um, that the, the sort of in between the twos and the threes um, – could find themselves in in danger of being squeezed out of institutions because mm-hmm. there's just no room for them. Yeah, because the money's not there. Even even though in terms of sheer numbers, mm-hmm. in terms of like people, I'd say twos and threes, the sort of the the mainstream evangelicals and the neo evangelicals. That's where I would say the majority of the evangelical population is. Mm-hmm. That's where I would put the numbers. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I would put the, the numbers there, yeah. But that the that the money tends to be on the fringes. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to raise interesting questions about uh, both institutions, which they get into, as well as denominations. Mm-hmm. Can denominations that want to try to hold across that spectrum of one through four, big denominations like yeah. the SBC, for example, can, is that realistic or is there just eventually going to reach a point where it's like, nope, we're just – those sort of big tent denominations are just not going to be able to hold together, mm-hmm. which I think that's I think that's probably a good guess. Yeah. But you're going to see that eventually happen within the SBC, that people on the, on the ends of the spectrum are going to go their separate ways. I, I think they mentioned this in the article, but 
not to bring it back to Tim Keller, but Tim Keller <laughs> uh, mentioned that there's a self-sorting going on, sort of like mm-hmm. the 1920s. Uh, yeah. Where we saw – in the 1920s, we saw a sorting between uh, fundamentalist, evangelical and mainline. Yeah. He says we're seeing something similar uh, in this and we don't, we don't necessarily know the categories now. But this, ta- this type of taxonomy might be mm-hmm. a help for grid going forward. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, to me, I, I just come back to um, that sort of defining question of where do you see the greater threats coming from to the church? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's such a clarifying question. And and to what level are they? What level of threat are they? You know, some people would say, well, yeah, there's there's dangers on both sides, but they're not this like existential threat to the existence of the evangelical movement. Um, I would disagree with that. I Mm -hmm. think there are existential threats on both ends of that spectrum, whether it's Mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the rightly defined Christian nationalism. I think that term is used way too much and is not well defined. Applied far too broadly. Yes. But there, there is something there. Mm-hmm. there. There is a category of people who have this weird merger of vestiges of biblical uh, teaching meshed with a sort of hardcore nationalism that is a deadly threat to the church. I got lunch with a guy a couple of weeks ago and as we we're talking, I was asking him about his, his church background and uh, he had – picked up and moved to another state recently. And he's like, well, when I was in town here, I went to church here, here, here. And he named three really excellent churches. Mm-hmm. And he goes, when I moved to my new town, there was no, I couldn't find anything. So I took this right-wing political pundit and their discipleship material and started working our, working men's groups through that. And I was like, oh, that that might be it. That, that <laughs> might be Christian nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, at the same time, uh, anyone who doesn't recognize the pressure and influence of progressive ideologies, especially on the especially on the issue of sexuality and identity, mm-hmm. if you don't recognize that that's exerting an enormous amount of pressure on the church, then you are blind. Mm-hmm. Your two is showing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, but it's both. Yeah, it but is it's both. both. Yeah, and so the question then becomes. Um, when you when you weigh it out, which do you think is more damaging? Which is more uh, concerning? And, and I don't want to throw out. I want to throw out something that I don't think this article necessarily hits on, but something that is uh, that should be part of the picture. Mm-hmm. I think your location matters. Yeah, yeah, significantly. I, like like location in the United States. Yes, like okay. geographical location. You know, if you're. If you're in a major urban area, mm-hmm. the people who are attending your church are far more likely to be in danger of being overly influenced by progressive ideologies. Sure. But if you're in a rural context, your congregants are probably more in danger or more susceptible to mm-hmm. the sort of far right stuff. Yeah, and so sometimes I think that geographical factor is not necessarily um, accounted for in uh, in some of these analyses. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think it's hitting the right wing stuff is hitting small towns and the left wing stuff is hitting the big cities for sure. With Well, at the same time, I, I still want to say both are present everywhere mm-hmm. in terms of dangers. Yeah. It, it, it can just be where do the scales weigh out on in terms of what what's more of a uh, danger though and again this is my two coming out so here you go yeah yeah <laughs> um the utter um saturation of our culture with the progressive end of things means that it's present everywhere mm-hmm. absolutely everywhere when you turn on any sort of entertainment, mm-hmm. you're going to be confronted with it. Um, I don't think that's the case with the far right stuff. No, no, I I would agree that that the le- the sort of like institutions of our culture, the yeah. television stations, media companies, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, I think, which which I think is it also gets into the sort of rural versus urban divide within mm-hmm. evangelicalism that is sometimes there. That's also there within our larger culture. That's another factor that comes into play here where um, people who live in more rural areas feel like they're looked down upon and ignored by the cultural elites who inhabit the urban centers. Mm -hmm. And there's at least something to that. Mm -hmm. Folks in the rural end of things though can often not fully appreciate the value perhaps of trying to have people – inside those circles to exert influence mm-hmm. in the right direction. So I think, you know, I, my big takeaway is the – so for the for the local pastor, where, wherever you're at, whether you're serving in a suburban or urban context or a rural context, understanding your own context is key. Yeah. And being able to see, to see where – are the threats coming from in my context? Where are people most likely to gravitate towards? What are they most likely in, more influenced by? And quite frankly, I would think if you're going to if you're going to serve your church well, in some way and in some context, whether it's through the preaching ministry or through the teaching ministry or other things, I think you need to help your congregants see the dangers of both ends of those spectrum yeah. and identifying the idolatry that is fueling both of those things. And I, and I think picking your spots in in, in that pushback mm-hmm. uh, is going to be important for the local pastor. I mean, I, uh, I don't know if you saw Tim Alberta's article in The Atlantic. He did a long thing on evangelicalism uh, recently, last month or two. And he talked to these pastors that are talking about politics every, every week from the pulpit, one from right. each side. It was just like, oh my goodness. Like, your people don't need that. <laughs> yeah, your people are getting a steady of diet of that at home. Yeah, uh, give them something that has uh, more life to it. Uh, give them, you know, I was reading uh, Thomas Watson, uh, picture of a godly man with a pencil drawn. Have you have you seen this book? No, I don't think so. Uh, it's it's marvelous. It's it's really good. And he's he's talking about you're struggling with this. Run to Christ. This is going on. Run to Christ and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's my my hope in the you know give timely pushback on these things, but at the end of the day, run to Christ. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, the the in one sense, the simplicity of keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, and that's where part of it gets back to as well. 
Um, what's your understanding of the mission of the church? Mm-hmm. Is the is is the mission of the church to uh, preach the gospel and to disciple and to uh, do that, or is it broader than that? And therefore, um, you know, going to pick up some of that other stuff. So uh, we will have links to these articles in the show notes. Yep. And also I've got a link here. We'll make sure this gets in. If we figure out how to do show notes in the new provider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will. Um, Kevin DeYoung did a different taxonomy, like a four-part, uh, sort of four-category taxonomy that I, I think is um, also interesting, worth considering. So uh, we'll have a link to that as well. Okay. But, what did I do today in let's sports Let's do history? it. All right. Today in sports history, July 26th, uh, 1970, uh, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, Johnny Bench hits three consecutive home runs off Philadelphia Philly. Uh, Steve Carlton. Yeah. Johnny Bench. A legendary Reds player. Did you ever go see him play? No. Okay. Part of the big red machine, though. Yeah. Uh, 84. Expos, Pete Rose. Boy, that was weird to read. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ties Ty Cobb with his 3,500 second single. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten that Pete Rose played for the Expos. Yeah, that was a weird sentence to read. Uh, uh, 88, Mike Schmidt sets the NL record appearing in 2,155 games at third base as Phillies and Mets end a game at... 2.13 a.m. Long game. That is a long game. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, 92, Nolan Ryan strikes out his 100th batter for the 23rd consecutive season. That's impressive. That's absurd. He was unreal. He would, That's he, impressive. He retired before your time. But I, he was in his late stage when I was, you know, teenager kind of thing. So I remember watching him pitch. and He was just. Wow. 23rd consecutive season. Yeah. So he pitched from the 70s to the 90s? Mm-hmm. Wow. And he – actually, I think he might have started in the late 60s. So he might have actually played in four, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, four decades. My goodness. And he was not a finesse pitcher. He was not your – He's like, a power guy, right? You know, he, he wasn't your Greg Maddox who was out there, you know, throwing 90-mile-an-hour fastballs and 82-mile-an-hour 80, curveballs and stuff. Like he was throwing smoke. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you got a preference here? Uh, my goodness, Nolan Ryan's thing is so impressive, but it feels like we chose Nolan Ryan not that long ago, right? <laughs> Probably. He's that good. Uh, maybe. What do you think about Pete Rose? Well, that's a big question. Uh, in this instance, <laughs> since he can't even get into the Hall of Fame, can he get into today in sports history? Uh, Sure. Though I think we've mentioned him before as well. So if, we're, if, we have, if we're looking well, off the radar, then we need to go either Mike Schmidt or uh, Johnny Bench. I'm more interested in Johnny Bench probably. OK. Let's do that. Yeah. One thing you liked. All right. So over vacation, I finished the biography by Thomas Kidd uh, on Thomas Jefferson, Spirit and Flesh, I think is the subtitle. OK. Uh, fascinating. It focuses in on his moral life, mm-hmm. uh, which was fascinating. Um, as well as his religious life, which was also interesting. He yeah. he loved Greek and Latin. Loved yeah, Greek well, and Latin. I mean, why wouldn't he? He he was <laughs> he loved the Septuagint. Um, he he often spoke of how much he loved reading uh, the Psalms in Greek. 
Well, he's on to something there. Uh, and then his, uh, his financial life uh, was the third aspect of that book. And that was fascinating. So how much did it dive into his, um, uh, for lack of a better term, relationship with um, Sally. one of the slave women? Sally, that was her name, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, quite a bit. So they, they deal with it. He deals with it quite a bit. Quite a bit. He uh, brought her to France with him when mm-hmm. he moved to France and uh, I believe consummated that relationship there. Okay. I mean, I know there's all sorts of discussion about Descendants and all and that sort of thing being traced back to yeah him. that definitely falls under the category of moral life <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yes for sure uh, but essentially a deist correct uh, or does is he beyond that um, yeah I think essentially a deist mostly be, mostly because an atheist was not something that anybody was then yeah. even though he was accused of that in presidential elections so he was an yeah. atheist <laughs> okay. Like and that was that was a black mark on him, and he had to prove his yeah. religiousness. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, you're not you're certainly not going to get the uh, the sort of hagiography from from Tommy K mm-hmm. on his uh, treatment of history. He is a straight shooter. Thomas Kidd is. Yes, he is. So I appreciate yeah. that about him. Uh, for me, recently, my wife and I watched the Thirty for Thirty. The Life and Times of Oscar Pistorius. I don't know who that is. So he was the uh, he was a he is a double amputee. Okay. Who ran? Um, who obviously had these sort of prosthetic legs made that had blades, so they called him the Blade Runner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and was so dominant in the Paralympic Games and started running times that were good enough that he ended up qualifying for the um, traditional Olympics and ran in the 400 meters in the London Olympics oh. as a uh, as a double amputee. For what, what country? South Africa. OK. Made it to the semifinals, did not make the finals, but still, I mean, remarkable that he yeah. did this. But then like two years later, he uh, – eventually ends up being convicted of killing his girlfriend in their house. He claims that he thought she was an intruder and he shot her. Oh, gosh. And so it's big trial. I think of think of like what the OJ trial was for the US in terms of that high profile of an athlete. Mm-hmm. That's what it was for South Africa. Wow. And so it's like a four-part 30 for 30 the first and the last episodes are like two hours and the My middle two goodness. are like one hour. So it, it's a long form discussion of this. It's fascinating because it, it delves a little bit into South African uh, history and culture in terms of apartheid and all of that. Sure. Um, as well as just it's pretty – the perspective is wide. It's not like pro him or against him. It's kind of putting the whole spectrum out there and interviewing yeah. people, family members as well as – you know, uh, just it, it's fascinating. So well worth your time, especially if you like any of the blend of like kind of true crime plus sports. It's it's right in that sweet spot. Interesting. Yeah. So Life and Times of Oscar Pistorius, the hmm. Blade Runner. What a great nickname. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, we have talked changes to the podcast. We've talked Mets. 
We've talked about divides within evangelicalism and how John is a 2.75 and I'm a 2.25. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about Johnny Bench, part of the Big Red Machine. We've talked about Thomas Jefferson, really a book about Thomas Jefferson, and we've talked about the Blade Runner. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so mm-hmm. all that is left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.